Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, and it reads, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young, young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother and fell down and, read that word with me, they fell down and they, they worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Quick pause. They brought him gold because he was a king. They brought him frankincense because he was God. Frankincense was the incense that you would use to worship God. They, they brought him myrrh because he was a sacrifice. It was the lamb that was slain before the beginning of time. They didn't even know it, but even in the three gifts that they brought him, they were confirming who he was, the king of kings, that he was almighty God and that he was the lamb that was slain before the beginning of time. So then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Hey, let's pray. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful. We declare there is none like you. You are the everlasting and everlasting and everlasting. God, we're grateful, we're privileged to be able to call you our God, our Father, our friend. And in this moment, we pray that you would visit us, God, in a way that you never have before, that you'd speak, that you'd transform, that you'd heal. God, that you'd move. And we'll be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout amen. amen. Come on, you whispered it. Somebody shout amen. 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 This is Impact Sunday, as I had mentioned. If this is your first time at Destiny Church, you could not have picked a better time to tune in online to visit us in Baltimore or here in Columbia. Once a year, we all give above and beyond. We bring our offering unto God. If this is your first time, I really don't want you to feel any pressure whatsoever. Everybody else has had eight weeks notice. You kind of just walked into this. I don't feel any pressure to participate, but do understand you are getting ready to witness one of the greatest expressions of generosity you have ever seen. I've said over and over and over again, there's three reasons why we bring an offering unto God. The first is it's thanksgiving and worship to God. It's our way of saying, God, thank you for what you have done in our lives. Thank you for keeping us, for covering us, for protecting us, for, for, for being our comforter in this year. How many people are grateful that God did not leave you in 2020, that he stood by you, that he covered you, that he supported you? I am grateful. Somebody's like, man, this was a horrible year. I feel like God didn't do anything for me. Hear me, this was a great year because it's the year that God proved that he is faithful and that he is by our side, and we are thankful. The second reason why we bring an offering unto God is because offerings release miracles in our lives. Somebody say amen. Now, I have to be super, super clear about this because you can get some funky doctrine and almost feel like God responds to your money. Hear me, you cannot buy an offering from God. God is not genie and we are not Aladdin. God is not moved by our money. Here's what he's moved by. He's moved by our obedience. 
that literally as God speaks and we obey, our obedience releases miracles in our lives. It's why I say all the time that miracles follow water baptism. Because water baptism is a command from God. Let's be real. Who wants to get baptized? Like nobody. Unless you're like super spiritual, you were raised in church or whatever it may be. Who wants to get baptized in December? No, I'll wait for June. <laughs> it's just not the time. But here's what God says. He said, forget the weather, forget the season, forget how you feel. It's a command. And literally, as we partner with God, it's a symbol. When we go under that water, it's like we went into that tomb with Jesus. And when we come up, it's as if we're joining with him in his resurrection power. And God says, as you obey me in this step, you're going to see supernatural blessings in your life. It's the same thing as we're giving an offering unto God. It's literally a test from God of whether he can trust us with the miracles that he has for us. Now, here's something that is so important to remember. God owes us nothing. I wish I got more amens than that, but I'm sure they're shouting amen in Baltimore right now. That's the spiritual campus. God owes us. He doesn't owe us anything. Matter of fact, if you think about it, he hung on that cross and gave his life to redeem us from an eternity in hell. Can I give you a really healthy life perspective? Can, can, can I teach you how not to get too disappointed in life, to be even killed, to be full of joy? Understand that the cross is the greatest gift that you could ever be given. Amen. And if God does nothing for, more for me, Outside of giving his life so that I can live, he has already done too much and there is nothing else that he owes me. Somebody say amen. amen. You know, when we get away from the cross and when we don't live our lives in perspective to the cross, then we get mad at God when he doesn't give us a job. Then we get mad at God when this door of favor doesn't open. Then we get mad at God when a loved one passes away. But when we realize he gave his life and he didn't have to, and anything after that is icing on the cake, it gives us a healthy perspective. And we don't live a relationship with God where we feel entitled. Now, here's the thing. God says, if I freely gave you my son, how much more will I not freely give you all things? He said, anybody who gives up house or friend or whatever, I'm going to give it back to them a hundred times more on this side of eternity and with that eternal life. In other words, God said, no, 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 no. The cross you didn't deserve, but the cross is just the beginning. There is so much more that I have for you. But I have to make sure that you are ready to be a good steward of it. And miracles follow our obedience. That's why for the last eight weeks we've been praying and asking God, tell us what you would have us do. When we respond to his voice, God, you said, so I'm going to do, you're going to see miracles released in your life. At the end of the service when we get ready to give, you're going to notice in your seat in Baltimore and online, there's actually a miracle card in your seat. And here's what I'm asking. 
that you would actually write down the miracle that you're believing God for. There's two cards. Write down a few miracles that you're believing on both cards. Make them identical. Drop one in the bucket on the way out the door and then keep one. Put it in your iPad. Put it in your Bible because you're going to see God be faithful to your obedience and it is going to blow your mind. If you're watching online, email the church miracles at yourdestiny.church. This is what I'm believing God for. This is what I'm obeying God for and you're going to see it come to pass in your life. The final reason that we give is because our offering accelerates what God is doing here at Destiny Church. It expands our imprint, and it's helping us make a difference in this community. Last year's offering, as you heard me say a million times, went to launch our Baltimore location completely cash. Over 800 people showed up day one. Hundreds of people have encountered God, been watered, baptized. Literally because of your generosity, people are able to encounter God like never before. This offering that we give, every penny of it is going to go to advance God's kingdom. Not penny, we're not going to use it to pay the bills, to pay personnel or anything like that. Everything that's given today, we are going to give away to make it possible for people to encounter God. And not only that, we're very specific on, as a church, what's our focus and where we give because we feel like God has mandated in his word what the church's responsibility is. One of the things that I've realized is everybody has a perception of what church is. For some people, church is... Churches, you know I ain't grew up in that type of church because I... They, They've been trying to teach me to shout for like 15 years of my life. Like, just pick it up and put it down. And, and I can't do it to save my life. I just, for some people, church is hymnals. For some people, church is communion candles or whatever it may be. And here's what I've realized, that we all have a cultural view on what church is. Based on your heritage, on your upbringing, on your background, some of y'all are like, I got no view on church because I ain't grew up in church. This is my first time in church in my life. Well, God bless you. You're going to learn a whole different type of church. Church with smoke and light, like a Snoop Dogg concert. But anyway, <laughs> we all have this own perspective on what church is. And I always preach close to the edge. We'll actually judge other churches based on the way that they do church opposite to what our culture of church is. But here's the thing. Our culture doesn't get to define something that God has already defined. History doesn't get to define what scripture has already defined. And God's word is clear on why the church exists and what our focus as a church should be. Somebody say amen. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as Jesus was giving his last instructions to the church before he went up to be with the Father, here's what he said. He said, you shall receive power. Somebody shout power. You whispered it. Come on. Somebody shout power. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Leave that verse up. Hear me, believers. God did not design you to live a powerless life. As a believer, you were never designed to live out your faith in your own strength. I say this all the time. Before you are a follower of God, it is physically impossible to live a life that is pleasing to God. After you are a follower of Christ, it is physically impossible to live a life that is pleasing to God. This was never designed to be lived out in our own strength. 
That's why Paul said, the good that I want to do, I don't end up doing that. And the evil that I try to avoid, that's what I keep on doing. Oh, oh what a wretched man. You've never been there before, right? Said, I'm never going to cuss again. Next thing you know, <laughs> I'm never going to. You know. Here's what Paul was saying. He said, it's not in our own ability to live a life pleasing to God. That's why God's given us his Holy Spirit power. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God says, I've given you power. Somebody say this, power for a purpose. God's given his church power, but there's a specific purpose for that power. So many believers live a powerless life. They live a life trying to do good without the power of God. Let me tell you, that's a discouraging life because you're trying to reach and attain something that is physically impossible to attain or sustain. But for the people, the people of God that have actually experienced the power of God, so many of us are confused on the purpose of that power. We think God's given us power so that we can pray in tongues and have a Boy Scout badge of how spiritual we are. We think God's given us power so we could go out in the parking lot and I'll prophesy to you and you prophesy to me and I'll prophesy back to you and I'll lay hands on you, Woo, lay hands on me, and we're kind of just swapping power. And God says, that was not the purpose of my power. I give you power to be, somebody say, witnesses. Say, so here's what the power is. It's so that you can be a witness to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Now, now, what's a witness? A witness is simply someone who says what they saw. God says, I didn't call you to argue with people. I didn't call you to convince anybody that Jesus was. I didn't call you to put you, this is what the Lord said. He said, I need to calm down. By the way, when you're the creator of the world, you don't need somebody to defend you. You don't need somebody to just speak up for you. You can speak up for yourself. God says, I don't need you as believers to argue with the world. I just need you to be a witness. What does a witness sound like? Well, before I met Christ, I was blind, but now I can see. Before I met Christ, I was discouraged. I was selfish. I was depressed. Now I'm filled with joy, peace. Before I met Christ, cancer was racking my body. But now that I've encountered Jehovah Rapha, my healer, I've experienced the healing power of God. Let me tell you what he's done for me. God says, that's what I need you to be. That's why I'm giving you power and boldness so that you can be a witness. That's why the church exists. Yeah. And here's what he said. He said, I need you to be a witness first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria. Here's what he was saying. He said, before you're a witness to the world, you better be a witness to your home. Let, let me say it this way. Before you get on an airplane and go dig a well anywhere, you better tell your coworker about Christ. He said, your first focus is the city that you're in. So as a church, the first place that we're focused on, we call these impact lanes. Our first lane of impact is local missions. Our focus is the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, that we can help all the hurting, those who need Christ, those that need food, shelter, clothing. We are the answer to the problem in our community. 
Jesus literally said, it is your job to meet the needs around you. And I'm telling you, Destiny Church, I could not be more proud of you because of your generosity. We've been able to give to organizations across this state, homeless shelters and food banks. You have personally given to individuals that have lost their jobs during the pandemic, weren't able to eat. And because of your generosity, you were able to pay people's mortgages to help them from losing their vehicles and all this stuff. You have been a blessing to your Jerusalem. And as we're giving this offering, it's going to go to continue what God is doing in the outreach in our city. Now, they, they, they had a, a, a leader's Christmas party yesterday, and they were playing Family Feud. And uh, one of the questions was, what's one phrase that Pastor Stephen says over and over and over and over again in his message? And I got so offended. <laughs> Because number one was, let me be honest with you. Number two is, I'm going to be ignorant for a second. And then number three was, I'm going to land this plane. And I don't say that all the time. Don't be saying true. Okay, let me land this plane. Um, let me be honest with you for a second. As much as it's the church's job to feed the hungry, to shelter the homeless, to clothe the naked, to take care of those in need in our own city. There's so many nonprofits that do that. What makes the church different? Because there's nothing wrong with a nonprofit, but we are not the nonprofit. Legally, we are. Spiritually, we are the people of God. And there has to be a difference between us and other great organizations that just aren't the church. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. He said this, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. This is what Paul's saying. He said, when you go to Target and you see that mom on the side of the street with her three kids with a sign saying, help any way that you can, Paul said, don't just look at that, connect with that. Don't just look at that and say, oh, that's so unfortunate. I no wonder what's going on in their life. Paul said, look at it as if it's your life. Partner in that weakness as if it's your life. He says, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. Why? For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can listen to save some. God says the end goal of the church is not just to feed the hungry, is to clothe people, is to take care of the need around you. Because hear me, if your belly is full and your soul is empty, you're still in trouble. God says, here's why I need the church to do outreach. Here's why I need you to make sure there's no homeless people around you. There's no hungry people around you. Because it's our job as the church to remove every barrier, every stumbling block that can keep people from Jesus. And hear me, if you're hungry, you don't care about Jesus. Pastor, actually, I'm hungry right now. I miss breakfast. <laughs> Not you. If you're wondering where your next meal will come from, if you're thinking I'm going to have to spend another night sleeping in my car with my children, you're not thinking much about Jesus. And it's our job as the church to step in to meet those needs, not for meeting those needs' sake, 
but that we can remove every barrier or every stumbling block that can keep a person from seeing that Jesus is the lover of their soul and he has a purpose and a plan. Here's what the Bible says. It says people are going to give God glory through our generosity. So local missions is our first focus. The second thing he says is Judea, and that speaks of national. He said, hey, you need to focus on your nation after you focus on your city. Here's what I find. Wherever you're from, most of us spend most of our time bashing our nation. If you're American, you know, America's not this, America's divided, America's this, America's that. I'm Barbadian, you Barbadians are prideful, Barbadians are this. If you're African or wherever you're from, we spend so much time highlighting the negative parts of our heritage and our culture. Here's what Jesus said, he said, I died for that nation. Yeah. That nation is my people. And I pray that your heart breaks for your people the same way that God's heart breaks for his children. Part of this offering is going to go to plant churches across the United States of America through our partnership with ARC, the Association of Related Churches. Because of your generosity, this year alone, we have launched 64 churches, 34 physically open, and then another 30 online campuses. I am telling you, you are making a difference in your Judea. By the way, ARC has launched over 900 churches since its inception, and Destiny Church is church 215. So there were 214 other churches that gave in their impact offering to make it possible for us to encounter God, and we are able to do the same thing through this offering. No, another thing that we do in terms of national missions and outreach is we focus on church planners. Many people haven't planted a church and you don't kind of know that, that world, but for so many church planners, based on a word from God, they quit their jobs, oftentimes move to a city where they know no one, move away from family. Many people don't know this. Many church planters empty out retirement accounts and savings accounts just to be able to have the funds to launch the church with excellence in the way that it should go. And, and so many ARC churches are growing or thriving. One that you launched, launched with over 800 people day one. Somebody give God glory for that. But there's the reality is that so many healthy churches are launching and growing. Can I be... Oh, that's one of my phrases. Can I be ignorant for a second? New people don't give. It's like, oh, it's a new church. Let me see what they do. And oftentimes it's the pastor and his family that are sacrificing to get the church off the ground. So many church planners are sitting around saying, hey, kids, this Christmas is going to look a little bit different. This Christmas we're going to have a whole lot of love and a whole lot of Jesus. and Maybe not the gifts that we're used to. Well, because of your generosity every year and in this offering, we're picking some church planners across this nation. We're writing out some checks on your behalf and mailing it to them saying, hey, we're proud of you. We're excited of what God is doing through your family. We're grateful that you have a heart for your city. And we just want you to know that Destiny Church believes in you. I love writing those letters because the letter goes a little bit something like this. Hey, here's a check. There's only one rule. It's not for the church. Get you a ham, get you a turkey, get some gifts for the kids. We're grateful that you are giving your life to build God's kingdom. Our third lane is international missions. And because of your generosity, we're planting churches all over the world. We've planted churches in Peru and Sri Lanka and China and Nigeria and Mexico. Because of your generosity, we are building the kingdom internationally. 
One of the churches and regions we focus on is the nation of Israel. Your giving goes to support a particular church in Ashdod, Israel, where they are building the first church building in the entire city. You know, when you think Israel, I think Bible. Like the whole Bible is basically Israel. What we don't know in this 21st century is less than 2% of the Israeli population believe in Jesus as Lord. And the church is more persecuted in Israel than it is in neighboring nations around it. But God is doing something there. And we want the believers in Israel to know that we are believing in you. We're supporting you in what God is doing through you. In that church in Ashdod, they've already launched nine churches in the regions around them in some cities that have zero churches for the entire region. Our fourth lane of impact is Destiny College. Come on now, give it up for the college. That's the place where we are developing leaders. Here's what Jesus said. He said, the fields are ripe with harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send the laborers. You know this foolishness about, you know, America is a post-Christian society and nobody really wants to go to church or give to the gospel anymore. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said people are more depressed than they have ever been. They're more suicidal than they've ever been. They're more addicted than they've ever been. They're more in need of a savior than the world has ever been. The harvest is not the problem. So the problem is we don't have enough people to lead connect groups. Problem is there's not enough people that, 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 that are able to serve in Destiny Kids, park cars, be campus pastors, play instruments. Here's what Jesus said. He said the leaders are the issue. We don't have enough. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send the laborers, the leaders. And the more leaders you can develop, the more lost people you can reach. So our focus through Destiny College is to raise up men and women of God that are grounded in their faith, that are developed in their leadership so that we can be a good steward of the tens of thousands of souls that God wants to send us in the DMV. Somebody say amen. As you give, not only is your offering going to develop that college, but it's going to go to a scholarship fund to help students to say, hey, I feel a call of God on my life. I feel like ministry is what I'm supposed to do. I just don't have the resources to invest in my training. We're able to say, hey, Destiny Church members already took care of tuition. It is covered. You can step fully into the call of God in your life without having to worry about anything else. And then the last lane of impact is advancing our church, launching new campuses across Maryland. Our board of trustees are looking for property and land to build on and all this other kind of stuff. I am telling you what God is going to do through Destiny Church is going to exceed our wildest expectations. Somebody shout amen. amen. Now, all of that stuff is good. It's amazing. It's important to understand that as I'm giving, where's my giving going and what's the impact that it's going to make? But here's the thing. Giving an offering to God is not just a financial transaction. ROI is important, uh, economics degree, I understand, in turn of investment and all that other good stuff. But here's the thing. This is not a financial transaction. This is a holy transaction. This is an offering. This is a moment where we're laying something before God. What's the difference between just a financial transaction and a holy offering under God? I'm not going to preach a message. I just want to give you just three things that make a difference. If you write it down, here's the first thing. Offerings require sacrifice. In order for it not to just be a financial exchange, but it has to, for in order to be an offering, something holy that's under God, and let me, let me say it this way. You got to feel it. 
If you don't feel it, it's not an offering. It doesn't make it bad. It doesn't make it useless. It just doesn't make it an offering. And there's this passage that we were reading of the Magi. You know, many people think that there were three Magi that came to visit Jesus. And it wasn't three. We get the idea of three because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But most likely, it was hundreds of people that went on this journey. Magi were nobles and leaders and astrologers who studied the sky and tried to figure out what the sky was predicting. And one day, this star appeared. And from their research, they knew that that star represented that a new king had been born. So they packed up their possessions, hear me, and traveled most likely over a year. This wasn't a three-day journey. This wasn't, hey, I'm going to run up to New York for the weekend, I'll be right back. For a year, they traveled some of the most treacherous and dangerous terrain, facing wild animals and thieves. They sacrificed to bring an offering to a child. If it doesn't cost me anything, it's not really an offering. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, it says this, Then the king said to Arana, No, I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen of 50 shekels of silver. There was this story where King David, he, he wanted to worship God and build an altar. He found the land where he wanted to build an altar, and there was a man by the name of Arunah who owned the land, and when he found out the king wanted to worship God there, he's like, oh, you don't got to pay me. I'll just give him, come on now, favor from a king? Oh, that's going to give you some returns in the end. He's like, oh, just tell your worship me. God, just have it. And David said, no, how much it costs? I have to pay you because I refuse to give God something that costs me nothing. I have a question for you. Come on, Baltimore, are you with me? Question. Theologically, how do you feel about re-gifting? Just think about it for a second. Some of y'all laughing because you're guilty. <laughs> is re-gifting theologically moral? Is it right? I mean, just, just, just think about it. You gotta look straight ahead. You act no, I'm definitely re-gifting. That's what I gave y'all last year. But anyway, <laughs> you just you get a gift from someone, you open it, and you just have this thought: I will never use this a day in my life. And instantly you begin to think, who can I give this? Two, you, you package it up or you wait for that event or you, you have a birthday that surprised you, you forgot about it and know the person's expecting something from you. Oh, I remember, I just got to put the wrapping back on and make it look like I didn't really open it, I didn't try it on and, and you grab. Here, if you're one of those people that re-gift, and I'm not trying to condemn you or anything like that, even though I am, but if you're one of those people that re-gift, you know that when you give that person a gift that you did not buy, three thoughts go through your mind as you give it to them. Your first thought is, <laughs> gotcha. Come on now, let's be honest. You're a little bit happy that you're able to give a gift that you didn't spend any of your money. The second thought that everybody who re-gifts has is, I wonder if they know. I mean, they know I wouldn't buy something like this. And then here's the third thought that usually goes through your mind. I don't care. They're lucky they're getting something from me. Come on out. But there's no thought, there's no effort, there's no sacrifice. Don't re-gift God. 
Don't give God something, can I say it this way, that requires zero faith. And for all of us financially, there's amount that we can give that requires zero faith. Like, I'll give it, I hope God's pleased, I hope it goes to something good, but if it doesn't, it don't hurt me none. And hear me, that's not bad, it's just not an offering. Because in order for it to be an offering, I have to, it has to require my faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. How in the world do we expect to move God if we're not giving him our faith? We want to give it the amount that makes us say, ooh, I felt that right here. I mean, like, right here. Like, ooh, I'm not going to be able to renovate my backyard the way I wanted to. Oh, I'm not going to be able to get that car this month. It's going to be three months from now. Oh, I, I felt that. The second key for it to be a real offering, first, it needs to be sacrificial. The second thing is this, offerings must make an impact. Somebody say preach, preacher. By the way, if your offering is not sacrificial, you don't really care about the impact that it makes. Come on now. But when you sacrifice in that offering, your next question is, so what you going to do with it? Come on now, preach to me. I need to know what's the impact y'all making? How are we? And that's why I say you should not just give. You should know the impact that every penny that you give is making. That's why we make sure to put a year in report online. It's on there right now from last year's offering. This year you'll see somewhere around March, February time of, hey, I want to see where every penny went. Not because I don't trust you, but because I want to make sure we are maximizing the impact that God has given us. I'm not just giving to give, I'm giving to advance God's kingdom. David said this in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 3, he said, Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. David said, because I love God's house. Because God's house is a place where people find hope, where marriages are healed, where faith is built, where destiny is released. Because I believe in that place, I'm giving all that I have. I'm giving sacrificially because I want to see an impact made. So we read in this story with the Magi. So they travel this journey. They come to Jesus. They lay the gifts before him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then that night, as the Magi are asleep, an angel comes to him and says, hey, don't go back to Herod. He's trying to kill Jesus, and he's going to kill you. Go back, they were already traveling a year, y'all. Go back the long way. Talking about a sacrifice, they probably set their lives back two years just for that one night of worshiping Jesus. But it also says that an angel came to Joseph and said, hey, Joe, uh, time to move, bro. There's somebody that's coming for your son. It's time to go to Egypt and hide out there until Herod dies. I have a question for you. Where did a carpenter who did not have enough foresight to make a, re re a reservation at a hotel for his pregnant wife, find the resources to relocate to Egypt, one of the most expensive nations at the time, and to hide out for over two years without any problems. No offense for those of you that are watching online, but, but this is what it would be like. It would be like God came to someone who lives in, I don't know, just like Kansas, 
and said, I need you to relocate to Manhattan and hide out for two years. You don't have any time to save. Do it now. Where did those resources, resources come from? The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Those magi weren't just bringing an offering. They weren't just bringing worship. They were bringing the resources that Joseph needed to sustain the miracle that God had given him and to be able to steward the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In order for it to be an offering, it can't just be good. It has to be kingdom. It has to be something that is advancing God's kingdom and transforming lives. The last thing is this. In order for it not to be just a financial transaction, it's an offering. It's holy unto God. It needs to be sacrificial. It needs to make an input. And a true offering is worship. In order for an offering to be an offering, it has to be an act of worship. What's worship? The, the word worship literally means, cameraman, I'm disappearing. You with me? Y'all with me, Baltimore? Oh, my gosh, I'm getting old. Y'all know I'm over 30. Like, my back hurts. Okay. Here we go. This is worship. Worship literally means to lay flat before something as a symbol of adding value ascribing worth to whatever you're in front of. When we say worship, what we're saying is, all that I am, I give to you because you are worthy. What does worthy mean? It means worth it. In order for money to be an offering, it has to come from the heart of, God, you're worth it. By the way, God, this doesn't simplify all that you're worth. It's just all I could put my hands on right now to let you know. You're worth it. Generosity for me is not just something that I preach. It is my life. I, it sounds weird. I love giving. Like, I get excited for this time, and then I messed up and married a wife who's generous. So we, we just went giving family. I'm like, babe, you going to give everything away? Over the last nine years of the church, we have given hundreds of thousands of dollars to Destiny Church to advance what God is doing here. And I was, I was kind of just talking to somebody. I normally don't give specifics, but I was just talking. They're just like, whoa, you did what? Like, that's probably because you're the pastor. Like, why in the world? I said, no, no, no. Let me tell you why I'm so excited to give that way. Because I know who I was before I met him. I know how sinful I was, how inconsistent I was, how prideful and jealous I was. And the idea that the creator of the universe would stop by in Owings Mills with all that he's doing 
to take notice of some kid that nobody knew and nobody cared about. Just to say I love you. Just to say I want you. Just to say I have a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life. After getting God's attention like that, the only reasonable response is, God, take all of me. You see, in church during the, the, the music time, we usually have two fast songs and, and one slow song. Everybody's like, you know, it's fast song, slow song. And, you know, I'm like, honestly, some of you heathens, some people are just like, ah, <laughs> I'm going to skip the music. I get there for the preaching. And it's really a mindset of just not understanding what the music is. It's not fast songs and slow songs. It's praise and worship. Fast songs are fast on purpose because those are the moments you're supposed to be dancing. Because the Bible says as you praise, as you talk about how great God is, that a supernatural exchange is taking place. That you can't dance in the presence of God and depression stay on your shoulders. You can't lift your hands in the presence of God and worry and fear and anxiety overwhelm you. You think it's just a fast song. It's a supernatural exchange. I'm dropping off my week and I'm picking up his favor and his grace and his mercy and joy. It's kind of easy for everybody to get involved in those fast songs. But when that transition comes and things slow down a little bit, I'll be honest with you, and I look at Jesus, but I look around a little bit. And you'll see this demarcation in the room where some people will begin to lift their hands and worship. Tears will stream down their face. And other people will just observe. And I'm not trying to make fun of a physical exposure. Literally, it's based on your heart. But when that transition in the service takes place, here's where the demarcation is. It's difficult to worship if you haven't come to the place where you've decided he's worth it. Because that's all worship is. It's saying, God, you're worth my hands lifted. You're worth my bad singing. You're worth every physical expression of Laying my life before you. We know Bible, we just don't know common sense. Why in the world will outrageously wealthy royalty, which these magi were, travel for over a year to bring treasures to a two-year-old who probably wasn't even potty trained yet? Like, these men had everything. Mary is still changing your pam. You know what, what kind of, probably had like angel pull-ups. There was no Paw Patrol pull-ups back then. They are probably Gabriel pull-ups. I don't know. These grown men worshiping a child. It makes no sense. If you ask them, why did you do it? I bet what they would tell you is, well, we didn't start there. We started with education, trying to see if that would bring the meaning of life and fulfillment. And when we were all educated, we found out that we knew a lot, but we, didn't, we weren't filled with a lot. 
Then we went on to wealth and we started businesses and, and, and we, we, we began consulting and, and we amassed a great amount of wealth. And don't get me wrong, it was great. I was just empty inside. Then I went and got married because I figured love would fulfill me. And don't get me wrong, marriage was amazing. I was still empty inside. Then I had some kids. And I began to think true fulfillment comes in legacy. It comes in passing something on to my offspring, and I raise them, and they're great kids. But, yo, they left, and they got married, and they had their own plans for their life. So here's why we traveled our lives to worship a two-year-old. Because we've been spending our lives looking for something that's worth it. And I've searched for everything. And I found the only thing that's worth my all is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God Himself. A true offering is not a financial number, it's a position of our heart saying, God, I don't have much to give, but this is a symbol just to let you know, God, you're worth it. I'll be honest with you. It's not really our money that God wants laid before him today. It's our life. Are we willing to get into the life posture of God, all that I am belongs to you? Because that's what worship is. I'll be honest with you in a moment, we'll Write a miracle cards out. It's called impact offering and drop an offering. But I want to ask you something, whether you're a follower of Christ or whether you're not a follower of Christ. Will you lay your life before God today? Will you take the posture in your heart based on what you did on the cross for me, shedding your blood so that every sin and mistake can be erased? Today I make a commitment. God, you are worth not $100, not $100,000. You are worth all that I am. And God, I give it to you. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful. We declare today that you are worth it. God, we've searched in love and education and money and kids titles. God, none of that's bad. It's just not worth giving our lives to. God, today we give it all to you. Whether you're in Baltimore, Columbia, watching around the world online, if you're in a position today where you're ready to give God the greatest offering of your life, not money, but your life. Whether you're a follower of God or today marks the moment that you're making a decision to follow God, this prayer is going to mean different things for different people. But if you're ready to lay your life down for God, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for seeing me 
Thank you for wanting me. Thank you for giving your life on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Today, I respond with the only reasonable response there is, and that's surrender. That is giving you all of me. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.